0: Welcome to episode 13 of the Let's Get Down to Business podcast. I'm your host today, Charlotte Newman, and today I want to chat to you about the next two of our 12 vital ingredients, which are avoiding poor partnerships, leading to a dysfunctional working relationship between co-owners, as well as building a good team whilst reducing overt dependence on specific individuals. So to help with this topic, I am joined today by Josh Curtis, a partner at A4G. Hi, Josh. How are you?
1: Hello, Charlotte. I'm good. Thanks very much. You?
0: yes i'm very well thank you well josh if we look at the first ingredient for today which is the poor partnerships but what this really means because many of our listeners out there may be one-man bands or perhaps they're just two people who started out with an idea for running a business but in reality sometimes one person left some time ago and and therefore potentially they might not think this podcast might be relevant, relevant to them, but by the way, this is. and um, It's just, however, a lot more commonplace that as a business grows, this results in partnerships being formed, usually involving a friend or a family member. Although sometimes it might be a business owner like, you know, themselves, where at some point their combined goals and objectives originally meant they were going in the same direction. Well, as you know, Josh, we've just seen many partnerships work in the short term, but often these can't really stand the test of time if left unmanaged. So what I'd like to chat through today is what factors impact the success of a partnership or not and how these can be avoided if someone is in one or looking at becoming one. So we just maybe start with sort of the mixing personal relationships with business, because in reality, this is sort of the most common thing we see, isn't it? You know, what would be your top two tips for making these sorts of relationships work from the start?
1: Um, Well I think first of all so let's define what we mean by partnership so as you say many businesses are actually a combination of people and so you know us as accountants we always talk about partnerships being um, you know someone who puts their figures on their tax return they run a very simple um, way of reporting it to HMRC a partnership would be um, defined as that just two sole traders who work together without um, a legal Uh, framework about it but actually when we talk about partnerships in this context today we we could easily be talking about um, limited companies with more than one owner or more often more than one director Um, so it's basically what I think we're looking at is where you have more than one person who's able to make decisions and call the shots with um, aspects of the business Um, of course um, partnerships are very rarely equal, and that's sort of what I think you alluded to. You, you may always have a dominant partner or a dominant director and and someone who is sort of brought along uh, or late to join the the management and therefore have to sort of steal some of that responsibility and, and management decision-making off the other partner. Um, and it can be um, a very rewarding relationship. Uh, I think it's the phrase, it's very lonely at the top, um i'm often reminded of um, when i often speak to some of my clients where they are the only decision maker in the business and therefore everything does filter up to them and they they don't have many places to turn to get that support and um get other points of view certainly if there needs to be very fast decisions um the joy of working in partnership with someone or having a co-director or a board of directors is that you don't have to be alone to make those decisions and that can be very um, comforting and rewarding um, because you've then got multiple um, points of view to make sure that you make the right decisions. Um, I would like to think that if you've got only one pair of eyes looking at a problem, you're probably missing other angles and other ways of looking at the problem that one person just couldn't see on their own because their vantage point doesn't let them see it. So if you've got other people to bounce off, you've got other vantage points to make sure you're making the right decisions. Um, but saying that, obviously, the more people you have in a management responsibility, the more um, friction there could be, certainly if two people are disagreeing on the direction of something or um, what decision needs to be made, especially those sort of emergency ones where there's not very much time to think about it. And people's personality types and their natural ways of working start to shine through and that can cause um. Uh, you know the, the friction that can that can rub the wrong way and if they're not managed in the right way can then lead to longer term problems so you asked me charlotte for for two top tips um for how this could be uh sort of insured against um my first one would be that if you've got multiple partners in a business you need to have alignment between all of you as to what the goal is and that goal doesn't have to be anything big, drastic, or, you know, audacious. It could just be that um, you both want to make as much profit as possible over the next 10 years. It might be that you both want to make as much capital value in the business as possible. And as long as you've both got an aligned date at which you want to retire, because that can often be a problem if you've got multiple partners all seeking retirement at different points. Well, at some stage, someone's going to be left holding the business on their own, and that's not what they set out for. So understanding those medium to long term goals between the partners and having alignment on what that means for everyone is really important. And the earlier you do that, the better it will be. Because if if someone's saying, oh, yeah, I, actually, I want to retire next year, that suddenly puts a whole load of pressure on the other partners and, and can lead to a very fractious period of time. Um, my second tip would be that a shareholder or partner's agreement is drawn up. Um, these can be really dry and horrible documents to write. And I think a lot of business owners um, shy away from it because of the conversations you have to have to to draw them up. But then likewise, a lot of my clients ask to make sure that these are written up and ask my opinion on, on those documents because they are the emergency document. If something goes wrong, that's the document that will get you um to a point of resolution and to draw up those documents you need to understand um, when is someone going to need to retire what's the mechanism for retirement how do you value their um input in the business how many hours work do you expect them to spend on the business defining roles um, and then you know, the the more difficult issues of what happens if the partners disagree especially if there's a two partner business or two director business what happens if there's loggerheads you've got two equal partners you disagree completely on the subject, how do you resolve it? So having a deadlock clause in your agreement is vital so that both of you know the process to take um, if you can't agree something. And then obviously the horrible one is what happens if one of you were to die or be incapacitated and what happens about that? And um, sadly, in, in our experience, um, where there is a lack of partnership agreement or shareholders agreement, that actually can often be a really difficult Um, time where you can have unintended shareholders joining the business which causes friction within the business or you can have friction with the estate trying to value things or understand how much value is supposed to be extracted from the business and um, it can be a massive upheaval that um, can seriously dent the growth or longevity of a business where uh, um, one of the business managers or owners have passed away Um, And if that was all set out in a partnership agreement, then you have a black and white document saying, well, this is what we all agreed has to happen. And that's what we have to abide by. Um, So it can really take a lot of the stress out of those really horrible situations. But um, what we often find is a business that's put the time into drawing up a shareholders agreement or a partnership agreement, they are much less likely to end up in disagreement because they've already thought through how they deal with the disagreement. Um, Mm -hmm. We often say that um, a partner's agreement is about saying, putting onto paper um, what you want to happen whilst everyone's happy, so that if anyone's not happy, you've at least got recourse back to when you were happy and you know that that was the right um, policy to take. So uh, it's a very long two tips for you there, Charlotte.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's brilliant. And you know what? The the partnership agreement is really interesting because, like you said, each partner's gonna have different values in terms of what they want from the business or even the goals of it. You know, so I was actually going to ask you to run through some of the things that you think is important for the business owners to discuss from the outset, which I think you've covered quite quite a lot there. But you know, you know, you might draw this up right at the beginning, but you know. How often should we be updating this? Because as we know, life changes quickly. And what someone may have wanted when they started and wrote that agreement, you know, like why they want to run the business or what their vision for the company is, it's going to change. So, You know, how often should they look at that? And what sort of things should maybe, even if they don't change the agreement, you know, what should they be talking about regularly? Well, um, it's it's a bit...
1: It's a bit like a will isn't it once you've written mm. the will you're oh thank goodness I've done that I'll put that away in the <laughs> safe and I won't look at it again but actually you might then be leaving assets to people that you don't even own anymore <laughs> um so yeah, I think it does need reviewing I think um you've sort of got some 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 warning points that would say you know look out for these events and these would trigger you to need to review it so obviously if you've got a new partner coming in or someone's retired after such an event you've got a new management team so you need to realign everyone's um intentions and and probably revisit your partnership agreement whether the party coming in then just takes on the same clauses that were there then that's easy but at least everyone knows that that's okay with everyone or you might need to amend the the agreement slightly um the other one is if there's a significant change to um, the way the business runs. So if you're going into different markets and different partners have different responsibilities to do with different segments of the business, if there's anything where you feel that um, the responsibilities have changed since when the partnership or shareholder agreement was written up, that might trigger um, the need for a new agreement. It's certainly worth a review because you don't want someone to go, oh yeah, I signed that when I only looked after this little department of the business, but now I, I deal with these departments of the business um so i'm much more vital but i'm still bound by what was written in this agreement before we had this alignment so i think they're the things to look out for for rewriting it Uh, actually i sort of touched on wills there i think it is something you want to review alongside um your your shareholder agreement and and partnership agreements to make sure that your will is also current at the same time because the two are quite related in some ways
0: definitely in terms of who's going to take over the business you know you know if anything happens and i think obviously when you start and run a business that takes huge sort of financial and personal commitment um and you're sort of responsible for the success and failure of that business but of course when there's more than one of you involved this could just like you said be dependent on the contributions that you both make um and more often than not you know that it can actually sometimes result in unequal commitments among partners you know we've commonly seen this where perhaps one brings in the financial backing but the other potentially has like the sweat equity for making the business work operationally so how would you maybe tackle address addressing these potentially unequal contributions in partnership Um, but especially where this evolves over time with you know time constraints personal circumstances just so that both partners feel supported and valued
1: that's right. This is this can be quite a difficult subject because if you are operating as an LLP or a partnership it's actually slightly easier to manage because you can write into the partnership agreement flexibility with the the share of profits or flexibility with the capital um, ownership side of things so that it can flex as according to how much input each person has in the business with a limited company though you're much more constrained with um, you know your shareholding in that business is your value in in that business that defines your capital ownership and there is very little flexibility within that Um, so you've got to be careful with if there's a change in the perceived capital value that a shareholder or um, manager has um, then you need to be quite careful about how you structure it when it comes to limited companies um, then that sort of has to be dealt with on a case-by-case basis to work out how you can ensure um, even-handed reward for each person involved um, with someone tending to provide finance then on a limited company you tend to have a bit more clarity because you'd have a difference between their equity ownership and their debt ownership. So, you know, if they've got a loan of a hundred thousand to the business, that shows there's a liability of the business and has to be paid off before any of the shareholders can get their equity out of the business. Um, so, things like that. But it's certainly one of those things that having that conversation to understand the mechanics of how it works, because a lot of business owners make assumptions as to how it might work on um, someone retiring or selling the business. But I think. Um, having a discussion to work out that clarity is, is very important and is very, very unique to each business, I would say.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, building a business takes patience and perseverance and, and you know, quite often when there was a lack of business or a big change, you know, like we've seen in the last couple of years, um, you know, this can actually take its toll on both partners, which often leads to conflict. So what ways could business partners prepare for that lack of certainty in their success, but also? Maybe quantify this into something which includes the realistic, you know, the realistic expectations for both partners when it comes to growth and things like that.
1: Yeah. So I think that this is where, you know, you have to understand in a partnership that um, everyone is different. And in those times when things aren't going so well or, you know, you're not achieving the goals that you've set out or you feel there's an imbalance in input with the business, then... You just need to sort of make sure you've set the groundwork for that. So you sort of need to identify what are your strengths as a partner in the business and what are the strengths of the other person? And the best businesses and partnerships I've ever seen are where those personalities complement each other. Um, So if you've got two people who have very different points of view and very different strengths and very different weaknesses, then it very naturally guides you as to who looks after what bit of the business but there needs to be trust between those people that um that although at one point in the working year partner a might have more to do and then in another part of the working year partner b might have more to do they need to know that in the round they will effectively be equal and understand that actually the input of both of them is required for the business to make the right decisions but then that's also of course when you can get the loggerheads so setting out those structures of how you deal with situations where you are in disagreement are um very important you don't really want to have to rely on okay if we disagree how do we dissolve the business how do we sell the business because that is is the least productive way of, of dealing with it um but it's setting out your roles and responsibilities and then setting out how those responsibilities are then rewarded so if um a business finds itself in a crisis and um one of the partners now suddenly needs to do much more work than the other because it's their department that need to raise things up. So let's say it's like you've got a you've lost some customers, you're you're the partner in charge of sales and you now need to drive more sales into the business. Well you will feel that you are overworking to try and keep the business going, but you need to have a mechanism in which there is some way of equalizing reward for the amount of time worked in the business or at least a way of balancing that between the two. Because often it, it's a case of how long do you wait for equality? Um, you may appear unequal in, in one year, but actually over the course of five or 10 years, you may find that that balance actually does sort itself out. But you need to be addressing it as partners so that you can um, define how you view that and and have clarity of conversation. Every every person in business thinks their contribution is probably more than it actually is. It's human <laughs> nature, I think, to, to sort of, you can see what you're doing. You can't see what someone else is doing so well. So I think it, the key is to keep talking. Um, otherwise, you start believing your own imagination as to what's going on rather than the reality that's in your business.
0: Yeah, definitely. Communication is key. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, obviously, you know, having the different skill sets and personalities is actually an invaluable combination for partnerships, like you touched on the beginning. You know, you when you know your strength of something, having someone on board that you know, actually balances out your weaknesses and makes a successful business. But personality clashes are usually the one area which people sort of struggle to overcome on their, their own. And we often, you know, we often need to say you need to either build a better understanding of how your business partner works or, and probably on top of that, bring on board a referee or a third party to Absolutely. help balance out these differences. Um, so do, would you just maybe like run through some of these like main personality types you've touched on and just explain how understanding where each partner sits within this can just help when working through those different opinions if you don't have a referee or a third party?
1: Yeah, so you've got different ways of... um setting it out and I think that we're going to talk about this in a later podcast but you can you you can sort of there's many different ways of organizing personality types to understand where they are uh, coming from but the biggest part of this is understanding that each person brings a unique quality to the management structure and you need as many different um, types of personalities to get an all-round answer Um, so you might have someone who's very good at the technicals you might refer to them as the techie person they're very good at the actual Operational side of things and getting things done on a technical basis, but they may be less good at entrepreneurial or management side of things. And you may have someone who's really good at sales; they might be there. we refer to them as the haymakers, someone who's um, driving the sales of the business, but they may not have strengths in in management um, or you know getting the job done. And then you've got your management types who are very good at organizing things, um, but are less likely to go out of their comfort zones and, and sort of engage in sales or something like that. And then also understanding things about you know, some people are naturally more protection minded. Once they think they've got something their their natural thought process will be to protect rather than to grow. And that can actually then lead to actually a decline in the business. So you need to watch out for anyone who's gone, right, actually, this is where I am. And I'm now, now that I have something to lose, I'm very scared to lose it, but that fear itself might actually be causing them to lose business. So it's just understanding when someone appears to be feeling claustrophobic within the business so that they are not, you know misguiding themselves as to how to grow the business they are actually still focused on that growth and and pushing work down and not bringing everything to themselves to safeguard everything um and then you've got the people who are more introverted are less likely to um to to sort of outwardly say what they're thinking and they're you know they are very powerful people to have in an organization because they're generally the people that when they speak you listen but Mm. it's also they're the important ones to actually understand what their goals are and it's to keep that alignment going, you need to understand what they are seeking to drive in the business and, and sort of bring that to the forefront without completely alienating them. Um, and then you've also got um, sort of a group who, who might be outsiders. If you've got an investor who's not from your business but's provided finance and wants to help oversee things, then um, they could be really vital, but obviously their outside perspective may miss some of the nuances that you see in your business.
0: Yeah, well, that pretty much covers everything, then, doesn't it? Um, in terms of the personality values. And obviously, so we really need each partner to feel valued and we need clear expectations and goals written out, which that needs to be reevaluated on a regular basis, if you like, you say through a partnership agreement or, or something like that. And make sure that we're delivering these these things within an expected time frame. And lastly, we obviously need to understand how the partner ticks and using these personality types, we can identify the strengths and weaknesses of both us and our partners um, to find the balance. But assuming we have all of that, Josh, we haven't really touched on trust because honesty and integrity in a partnership can actually often take a long time. Even if you were friends before you started out in business Um, and it can actually be quite hard to build but obviously, as we know, it can be very quick to knock down. Um, just with that in mind, have you got any final tips, uh, you know, to our listeners in this area can help them ensure that they have, you know, that they use trust as the integral focus of their partnership, regardless of everything else that happens on a day to day basis?
1: Absolutely. I mean, trust is essential. You've got to have trust between a management or you know, a partner in a business, because without that, everything would start to collapse. Um, but interestingly, trust is, is a difficult thing to define and it's the person who you spend most time with so if it's if it's your best friend or if it's your spouse yes you may trust them to a level where you think yeah I could go into business with them but you will always be changing your relationship with that person if you are to bring them into business with you because the dynamics in the business relationship will be different to the dynamics in the relationship that existed before Um, you you worked in business with them Um, it can work but it can also be very fractious and I've often I've seen many couples where it doesn't work but I've also seen many families where it does work and you've just got to understand your relationship and have um, sort of a, a an ability for both people in that relationship to have a safe conversation to say hang on I'm uncomfortable with how this works in the business can we alter this relationship and have an exit plan if needs be But likewise, I've seen many businesses where someone has come up through the business and they've built trust with that individual as maybe an employee or a a business associate through another business. And they've gone, you know what? I've trusted this person in business throughout. I want to bring them into my business as a partner with me. And that can actually be very effective because then you're not crossing these different relationship pockets that you may have. You've dealt with them professionally. They know how you tick in the business. And you may be able to um, drive trust that way. And you've got a track record because you've worked with them for so long. So that can be a very lucrative way of bringing in business partners. And ultimately, if you have a business that you want to grow, um, there's always going to be a limit. There's going to be a ceiling to how far you can grow that business without bringing someone else on. And often bringing someone in to your management team and ownership team from within the business can drive greater growth than bringing someone in from without because it shows that you've given, uh, you know, you've got generosity in allowing that person into the management and ownership of the business. It gets them aligned with the success of the business and that will have a ripple effect down your team. Whereas if you bring someone in from the outside who is your best friend outside of the business, the business don't know them and it can cause a problem with trust further down the ranks than it is just with you.
0: Yes, exactly. That's a very good tip. Thank you, Josh. Well, obviously what we've just discussed um, actually really carries over to our team. You know, anything that we need to make sure we have in a partnership actually, like you say, sort of pretty much builds our team. So Josh, what sort of advice can you give business owners for tackling their over-dependence on themselves or the next senior person?
1: Well, I think that the I would recommend to anyone in that position that they read the book, The E-Myth. It's actually our recommended reading um, here at A4G. I'm sure we've mentioned it in another podcast somewhere. Um, But The E-Myth is is a fantastic book. It can be quite a dry read, but it's really, really worth it. And one of the principal concepts it talks about very early on is differentiating um, the roles that a owner of a business needs to fulfill. And if you are the only person in your business, then you'll fulfill all three of these roles. And if you're not filling one of them then that's the most likely cause of why your business wouldn't succeed and those roles are the technician so the person doing the work you know providing what is chargeable within that business whether it's making something or um, doing something or providing a service the technician is the person who does what is chargeable then you have the manager so that's the person who is um, overseeing them and making sure that the right things are in the right place so if you're Let's say you're a carpenter and you are your technician. So You know how to, to work the wood. You know all of, you know, if someone says, can you build this for me? You know how to do it. But the manager is the person who makes sure that the diary is correct. Make sure that you appear to the right job at the right time. Make sure that the right tools and raw materials appear at the right time. The manager is the person organizing all those things to align to make sure you can deliver that actual end product or end service. So the manager is gluing everything together and then the third role is the entrepreneur so the entrepreneur is the person who's identifying right this is what we're going to do next so it might be that you specialize in a certain product and you might then um have utilized your network everyone in your network has used you to buy this thing that you you can provide and now you're finding sales are dropping the sales aren't dropping because the quality of the product isn't good enough because everyone's very happy with what's happened but what's happening is that you've saturated the market no there is no demand for that product anymore it's the entrepreneur's job to look around and say okay we're now going to market that product in a different place they may you know if you're if you're a carpenter they may choose a different road or a different area or a different town in which to promote your services or they might identify hang on we need to build these connections with other people so we build our network beyond where we are the entrepreneur is the person looking outside of the business trying to identify where are we heading next to get that next bit of work the entrepreneur might also be the person who says Do you know what we're going to use our skill set to make a different product and and diversify the business it's the entrepreneur who's got the eye on the future to say what are we going to do next how do we make this better how do we progress whereas the technician just concentrates on getting the job done now if you're in business on your own you have no staff and no business partner you've got to do all three of those things Mm. yourself if you're in partnership then you start to share those between you and you might you might find one of you's a technician and one of you's um, really good at getting the sales and networking you might have someone who's a really good manager and, and it starts to gel quite easily. But then as the business grows, the dependence on, let's say there's three of you, an entrepreneur, a technician, and a manager, the dependence on the three of you starts to get higher and higher. As you start to get staff to help with doing the technicals, you get staff to help managing your finances and, and organization, you start to get sales team to grow the business. Actually, what's happening is how did you get those staff in the first place? You had some habits that you had when you were doing that job yourself. Then what you should do is write those things down. Just write down the key processes. Everyone has a system in their head, whether we say it's a system or not, you have a way of doing things, whether that's just in your head or not. And the key thing is write the key points of that down. What's the way you would approach each task that happens? And then once you've written it down, You can then say, "Okay, this is what I need to employ someone else to do," and you can hand them that piece of paper, and that's going to be the start of their job spec. They can then build upon that to make sure that they get the right systems, and then as they get overworked, they can then break that down into further things and pass that on to the next people that that are recruited to help them out. The idea being that because you've identified different hats in the business, you know whether that's as simple as entrepreneur manager. technician or whether you go further and actually break that down into say right this is the manager's job for managing the finances the manager's job for chasing in debts this is the manager's job for organizing supplies going to the right place where you can say well that's each of those is a different hat and in each of those you write down the key processes that they go through and that allows you to more easily recruit someone into that position what happens most of the time in business is we get overworked we get very stressed we say i need someone to help me you go out to um, the market, get someone in, you take on your employee, but it's not very clearly defined what they need to do. You're just like, I'm just overworked. You just need to help me. Mm-hmm. And then you let them find out for themselves how to do it, which ultimately means they haven't got your crib sheet of how you would approach it to start with. You might have talked to them about it and they've written it down in a notebook if, they're, you know, if they can think off their own back. Mm-hmm. But they will ultimately never do the job you did because they're not you. And you haven't given them a document to say, well, this is the approach I take. It may, of course, be if you get really lucky that that person might do it better than you. But, um, you know, nine times out of 10, recruit someone and don't give them the crib sheet of how you would approach it. And they will not hit that mark that you would hit. And they'll be slower to warm up into that role. So that's you know the importance of seeing those different roles, breaking it down, writing down your key processes. And that then informs how you recruit.
0: Yeah, you just reminded me actually, Josh, a tip from How to Get Rich by the late publisher Felix Dennis, actually. He says that employing people, um, or he suggests that employing people that are smarter than you, i.e. buy talent, is a good way to tackle this sort of over-dependence on a business owner. Because we know that if a business can become, you know, if a business becomes dependent on you or the partnership, the shift away from that never happens unless you build a great team. But obviously, buying talent is a, bit of an element of dice rolling involved so what else could business owners sort of do to essentially self-orchestrate this position or use the team that they currently have you know i know you've talked about writing down your habits but if you've you know if you've already got a team behind you how can they self-orchestrate those people to basically take over from them
1: absolutely so i mean Business processes is the number one way of making sure that you get maximum efficiency out of the team, but you also stop things from floating up too high in the organization um, so that you you, you, you have the risk of the top rungs of the organization being overworked, whilst the lower rungs of the organization don't have enough work. And that's because things are just floating up too high. So having those processes in place, and every time something does float up in the organization, put in place a system to stop it coming up next time. Um and and it's great if you can get someone who shines and you you can say actually, yes, they are providing something better than I could have come up with, then you've got to look after that member of staff because you need to hold them. But you know, most of the time you're not gonna be able to find that person. Not you you might be able to mold that person, you might be able to take people on who you can shape and they can then become so engaged with the business that they can become that, but they may not be that from day one. And you know, different people take different amounts of time to come on stream to, to be that effective. Um, but if you've given them processes to follow, and then every time something goes wrong, because things that will inevitably go wrong, you can go and update those processes to make sure it doesn't happen again. But have it in a way that's suitable for your business. Because obviously, if you've got everything written down on the computer, but you've got guys who work in a factory or on site, then the computer is not going to be much help to them. You need to come mm-hmm. up with another way of, of putting those processes in a way that they have got the, um, the prompts. Um, but the other thing is to make sure that you're supporting your team with, with training. Um, so you can give them the processes, but then you need to also make sure that they have the the smarts to actually run those processes. And I'm, I'm finding more and more these days that to ensure that you get staff engagement, you need to also be providing some sort of personal development aspect um, yeah. to the business, because ultimately people are motivated by growth and the prospect of progression. Um, so you need to find ways in which um, people can progress up the structure.
0: Yeah, definitely. And obviously, it could be said, though, that there's one area that the business owners say they don't have the you know they have they don't have the most control over that's and that's with regards to finding the right people however this is a bit of an excuse you know in some respects because obviously you've talked about you can write you know can write down habits make sure that you know you know their roles and responsibilities and making sure that you're that person would understand that before you took them on but is is there any way business owners can ensure they're employing staff who share their values as well as maybe their habitual or you know personality types that might suit the business
1: yeah so i think I mean, there's two parts to that question. One is you've got to have a way of communicating your goals and culture in the within the business and then present that to prospective um, candidates. I think we've talked about that in the past podcast about how you communicate goals and, and culture of the business. Yeah. But then secondly, you need to have a robust um, recruitment strategy. Um, and there are lots of different ways, and I'm certainly no expert on on recruitment strategies, but you know, generally the the policy is the wider your funnel is the better results you'll get so the more candidates you can sort of shoehorn your way the better pick you'll end up having then you have the difficulty that once you've got all those um potential candidates for a job you then need to filter through those to make sure you're filtering out the ones who wouldn't be good enough and that's not necessarily always about an interview it might be about um, once you've got your short list of, you've got all your candidates. You then provide them with information about the business, ask them questions that may allow them to sort of self-filter themselves, or allow you to assess them without an interview. To say, like, oh yeah, hang on, that answer doesn't fit the bill of what I want, and then you can go into an interview with your very shortlist and give a bit more time to that. But by that interview, the the candidate should know about your business, know about the culture. You should know about their effectively their technical abilities and that interview is about driving um knowledge about that it's about data gathering pick up all the nuanced data points on that individual and drive into their past work history and and abilities and really (laughs) so i used to always be very friendly in interviews and i always thought well if i'm friendly i'll get to know better what it is but i've since had advice to say well actually the more uncomfortable an interview is the more likely you are to find out some real information on that person to work out if you do or don't want to employ them and the whole process of recruitment should be that you're making people hungry to work for you and so by mm-hmm. the time you come to that interview which could be quite difficult they're still hungry for the job even after um giving them an interview i mean i don't think i'm ever going to be an interviewer on uh, The apprentice. But but that's just, that's one of the theories that I've recently been studying. Uh,
0: Well, I I think I like that point, isn't it? You know, the interview is so key and, you know, we're not going to touch on it now, but, you know, there's some of the, you know, strange interview questions that come up, but actually what they do is bring out a bit of that personality and they're not sort of reading, like you say, the technical things off of their CV. It actually gets them to, you to see what that person is and how they might work. You know, if if something came up. So I like that tip. But you know it's
1: always uncomfortable to dig in, dig below the surface in an interview with someone who you don't know. So that's why they have to get uncomfortable ultimately.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then you can really dig down and find out, can I work with this person? Is this person right for the business? Which is the key. And once they've got them on board, then how can a business owner really just continue to motivate and encourage their team? You know, we have touched on this before and you've mentioned it today. It's not just financial rewards that you know people want anymore. So, you know, what can they do to continue to motivate and encourage their team? um to just basically work towards their common goals
1: that's right so well i find that's one of the hardest things to do actually so you you need to find with it when you've got a staff member on board you know you've then got to retain them um because the longer you retain someone in the business the more return, if you're going to be cold about it, the more return you get for that recruitment fee and the recruitment time. But ultimately, the business needs that person. That's why he recruited them in the first place. And you don't want to have to, you know, too many people coming in out of the business might not be correct for the business. There are some businesses where you have natural high turnover of staff um, in certain roles. But then even within those businesses, you have key members of staff who you really want to secure because you the retraining and the organizational problems that will be caused by that turnover. Would be, too, would be difficult to overcome repeatedly. So you, understanding the the goals of the employee is is essential, but it's actually quite hard. When you've got an employee who, you know, come out of school and they just want to get out on the property market, buy their own house, it's really easy and tangible. You can really feel that. But if you've got a member of staff who's already got their own home, got their own family, it becomes slightly more nuanced as to how you can define what those goals are. And increasingly, that's where you need to be able to um, engage with that desire for that person who wants to progress and they want to learn new things. They want to feel stretched and then getting the balance because it's, you know, in business, uh, certainly in a business like ours, we're very good at throwing challenges to people, stretching people, giving them a challenge. Some people are nervous about that and some people um, will be affronted if they don't get enough challenge. And it's, it's such a difficult balancing act to make sure you get the right, um the right mix for each person um, but that's ultimately what it is and if you've got this track history where you you might get a partner into your business who's run of management or you've got a way of rewarding people as they come up the firm to support you as the business owner then that can all be part of that that structure and showing you know some people want progression some people just want a title um, but <laughs> it, it's no know, know your employee i suppose would be the mantra
0: yes definitely and like you say and that touches pretty much on what we spoke about the partnership personality types how people work you know finding out how people tick and you know like you say what, what do people really want and then you can find ways to motivate and encourage them um in what they want and need so um do you just have any final bits of practical advice then before um we finish today on the topics we've discussed you know something a business owner could just take forward today and make actionable quickly
1: um i think um yeah one of those tips i think for for in both cases whether we're talking about having effective partnerships or effective delegation to other people and stuff is just understand what's in it for the other person i think once you understand what the goals are of the other person whether that's an employee who you want to keep motivated or your business partner it can then make sure that you're aligning the goals of the business your own goals and their goals to to keep everyone rowing in the same direction
0: Brilliant. Thank you very much, Josh. Well, thank you for joining us today um, and giving us those invaluable tips. No
1: worries. I hope it was helpful.
0: It was very. Thank you very much. Well, next week we have an extra special guest joining us to talk all about her journey in business. So you simply cannot miss this. So please make sure you are subscribed to wherever you get your podcasts or sign up to our weekly newsletters for a little reminder. If you have any questions for us on the 12 Vital Ingredients series, please email them over to inquiries at a4g-llp.co.uk. And in the meantime, head to our social media at A4G Chartered Accountants and make sure you follow us to stay tuned on what we have in store for you next week. Alternatively, check out our website at wwwa 4 g high-llp.co.uk, which is full of free tools, guidance, and plenty of food for thought, especially with details on our business breakthrough programs, which help your business start up the right way and beyond. I've been your host, Charlotte, and this is Let's Get Down to Business.